There we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today, it's only me who is interviewing. Max is out because he had some uh, private to-dos that he couldn't postpone to elaborate. His girlfriend of many, many years passed her bachelor's exam today. So they need to celebrate, which I think is a reasonable excuse. But we'll we leave judgment for later. But I have the honor of welcoming one of our favorite people. And we have Vaitea on board with us today, who is one of the co-founders of Inaptor. And she will tell us all about it. But first of all, hey, how are you doing? Hello. No, super to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure. And yeah, for context, uh, Vaitea, Max and I, we've known each other for a couple of years. Uh, we are in the same uh, association or like club for entrepreneurs and Vitea is a super interesting founder and also just inspirational person, which you will notice over the course of the podcast. But for now, maybe you can just give us a quick intro into who you are, what you're doing, and then we can just go from there. Sure. So my name is Vitea. I'm one of the co-founders of Anapter, as you've mentioned, and my role at Anapter, uh, Four years later, because as you know, in the very beginning, you're involved in everything, but now stabilizing a little bit, focusing on our communications and based in Berlin. And yeah, what a crazy journey it's been so far. And I'm uh, very excited to tell you more about it. So what is Inepter actually doing? Give us the 30-minute the elevator pitch. 30 minutes. Ooh, I got oh, 30 time. seconds. See, see, like we were, Vaitea and I, we were talking about like, are we cutting in this podcast or do we just do it like raw and just go all in and see, I, I was the first one. We're not cutting this. Um, you can do 30 <laughs> minutes and I can just like mute myself and then come back afterwards. But I think 30 seconds for now, and then we can dive deeper. <laughs> Sounds good. So Anaptor is a leading tech company and we are manufacturing a device that is called an electrolyzer. And before I tell you more about it, I wanna tell you about the mission, right? Why are we even doing this in the first place? And it's because we want to make green hydrogen affordable and accessible for everyone and to essentially replace fossil fuels. So our vision is to live in a world where fossil fuels are no longer used and we are relying on clean and renewable energy. And this is where the product that we're manufacturing comes in. And so mm -hmm. the electrolyzer is a device that uses electricity and water and there will be a reaction inside of this box that might look like a microwave according to some and there's a reaction that happens where the water is being split into its component gases hydrogen and oxygen right h2o nope, split hydrogen oxygen and then the output is hydrogen with also a little bit of water and so with this green hydrogen, you can do so many things um, and essentially replace fossil fuels. So happy to dive into some use cases, but that's more than 30 seconds already. Yeah, there are many things to unpack, but let's start with why hydrogen and maybe to unpack it a little bit more. Many people have heard of renewable energies, probably everyone who's listening to this. But probably most people haven't necessarily heard of hydrogen being the solution. They've probably heard more about solar or wind, right? So why do you think that hydrogen is actually a big part of the solution? Great question. And I'd love to start this off by providing some, some numbers. So when we look at our final global energy consumption today, we've got a big pie chart, 100%, right? And interestingly, 
20% is met in the form of electrons. So 20%, 20% of our final global energy consumption is met in the form of electrons. That means electricity, clean electricity, solar, wind. They're doing a great job, right? At replacing fossil fuels in the power sector. So that remains, that leaves us with the remaining 80%. And this 80% is largely met by fuels and gases. This is 80% of our final global energy consumption met in the forms of molecules. And so we need to find a way to decarbonize this 80%. And so we need an alternative molecule. And so what could this molecule be? Well, this is where green hydrogen comes and plays a role because green hydrogen can replace the dirty molecules that we're still really heavily depending on, right? It's still 80%. And this 80% to give you, uh, to paint the picture, this is um, our industrial sector. This is our uh, heavy loads, our mobility sector, um, all of the um, chemicals and industrial feedstock as mentioned, and also all the heating and cooling. And so these sectors cannot be electrified. It's just not going to happen. We need mm. a molecule and it needs to be clean. And this is why we need green hydrogen. Yeah, splitting it in molecules and electrons like makes a lot of sense. Probably for most people who didn't pay as much attention in like physics and like chemistry back then. Um, can you, like you gave us a couple of examples, but maybe you can explain it with a use case where hydrogen has already replaced some part of like the fossil fuel chain and talk us through how like the dirty molecules, how you um, talked about them were used and then how is hydrogen used now? Sure. Um, you know, let's take the, the mobility sector because I feel like this is something that um, as an individual, we've all taken a plane, uh, maybe not drive to truck, but at least, you know, been in a car, been, been on some ships. So if we look at the mobility sector today um, and let's, let's, yeah, they are all uh, relying or let's say a large majority are still relying on fossil fuels. And when we look at the supply chain of fossil fuels, it's long and it's dirty and there's a lot of waste. Um, and then we can even talk about the efficiency of like, you know, a, a car's like motor as well. Like how efficient is that? But let's, let's not even get into that. Let's just talk about the supply chain for now. Um, so when we look at the supply chain um, uh, from extracting this fossil fuel in the first place, and then um, cleaning it. And it's actually becoming harder and harder to find like good quality um, oil and gas. Just, you know, it, it, it's just, there's, all the signs are there that we just need to stop doing this. But um, just extracting it and then cleaning it and then uh, refining it, right? Um, and then transporting it. There are so many steps. I mean, as a consumer, you know, there's, unless you're like James Dean, you know, there's not oil in the backyard, in your own backyard. So there's the, your, um, this fuel, has gone so far to reach you and along its way, it's emitted CO2 and there's also been a lot of waste. So that's the like business as usual supply chain today of our fuels and gases. And you know, today this is what um, planes are still relying on, um, container ships are still relying on cars, pretty much everything, like our whole mobility sector is relying on dirty um, molecules. Now, if we look at um, hydrogen, then First off, we use clean electricity from solar or wind to power the electrolyzer. The electrolyzer will generate green hydrogen with electricity and water. And then this green hydrogen 
can is is opening up so many so many avenues for mobility. Um, if we look at, for example, trucks, trucks are um, are are heavy <laughs> to start off with, right? They're carrying heavy loads, and they're also traveling long long distances. So when you're looking at the properties of hydrogen, it's a very lightweight gas. It's very energy dense. These are the perfect properties for anything that carries a lot and goes very far. And so if we just simplify it to those um, aspects of mobility, what goes far and carries a lot, we're looking at trucks, we're looking at ships, and we're mm -hmm. looking at planes. Mm -hmm. And these are all um, uh, transportation methods that can use green hydrogen either as, as a fuel or green hydrogen can be a component of their fuel. For mm -hmm. example, when you look at ships, um, ships will most likely use green ammonia. Um, and green ammonia is made from green hydrogen. Mm, okay. So, yeah. So and that's, a, that's, that's you know, this is where it gets pretty exciting, right? Because now we're creating a sort of um, a new foundation for the fuels of tomorrow. Hmm. So just so that I'm like super clear and everyone who's listening, basically the old world, like you have fossil fuels and like these molecules need to be transported somehow. There's a lot of emission on the way already. And then also just it's inherently just not renewable, right? That's that's like the like current status quo, basically. And then you say that the difference with hydrogen is that you can produce it in a renewable way. And in contrast to like, for example, I think like that's that's something where I'm not clear yet. In contrast to electricity, it's also easier to transport it in an energy dense way. Is that like part of it or why don't we just use electric trucks? Like where where is the like hydrogen coming in? Sure. So I guess I mean, you can tell me if this is like too deep or not. But one way of seeing it is that um, uh, solar um, and wind electricity is an energy source and hydrogen is an energy vector. So the energy vector is carrying the energy, is storing the energy, whereas the electricity source has like direct output. Yeah. Would right? a battery be an energy vector? Like an electric so, battery? No, I think that's because you can literally just plug the battery into like, right, you can charge your phone, you can plug the battery and just get like immediate output. Mm. Whereas uh, for the hydrogen, you actually need to create a reaction in order mm. to get the electricity okay. out. So your point um, was right. Um, hydrogen is storing um, electricity. And maybe also to like, you know, take it to the next step. It's not only storing electricity, but it's also coupling these sectors like the mobility sector or heating and, and cooling or the industrial sectors to green electricity. That, that makes a lot of sense. So it's like a bit like it's the like a storage system, but it's also a bridge, right? It, it enables you to use these clean energy sources and then bridge the gap to actually getting output out of it where you want the output. Because one of the things, at least my, my dad is an electrical engineer, also in the renewable energy space. He's very disappointed by me being more on the software side of things and not dealing with the real world. Um, but he, he could probably nerd around uh, about that with you a lot. But basically what he always tells me is uh, the problem is like part of the problem is the energy creation, but the bigger problem is how you get it to where it should be. And then also the storage. That's, that's what he says, like one of the biggest issues. And if you, if I understand you correctly, then hydrogen is like a form of making that much easier. It is. And I think also, um, when we look at the future of energy, it's highly decentralized. 
there's a big shift today in in how energy is being organized. And you know, in mm. the past, it was coal fired um, uh, um, powered power, uh, power plants, and so these were centralized coal fired power plants in you know the the megawatt scale. Uh, sorry, the gigawatt scale, much larger than megawatts, and it was centralized so there was like so many distribution lines and and con- con- conversion steps um that m- made this question of you know storage transportation distribution really a key topic and when we look at the future of energy actually it's highly decentralized this is what um solar and wind are doing because mm-hmm. we can now um generate electricity kind of anywhere at different scales um it's you know, this is where again hydrogen is becoming uh, quite a, a a cool like tool to plug in, because um, you can also store your energy on site. But the the questions are kind of changing as we're as our energy landscape is evolving. Yeah, that's that's one of the issues, right? Because I, I'm I'm trying to navigate like understanding like what the status quo is right now and where hydrogen is plugged in. But what you are saying is well, like. That's part of it, but there will be a completely new system. And if you change a system and the processes change, which then means that the questions will also change. Right? Is that what you, okay. And one, yeah, one, yeah. one very important point that you actually taught me, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, is you always say green hydrogen. And in my mind, at least before, um, hydrogen was always like this like cleaner energy source. But why do you say green hydrogen and are there other colors of hydrogen? There are. Um, there's actually a whole rainbow of colors of hydrogen, but I think for for the interest of of, of yeah this conversation, let's just focus on on three: um, gray, blue, and green. So let's start with with gray, you know, because let's just elephant in the room: gray hydrogen. Where do you think it comes from? That's a, a good one. Um, maybe you have to give me a hint. Gray, not good. I mean, gray, maybe like the dirty <laughs> molecules then? Yes. I thought that was exactly. black. Maybe I, I thought maybe like gray was like an in-between mm. between like a white and a black. But okay, like gray mm. is the, the dirty one, like fossil gray fuel Gray is the based. dirty one, Got yeah. It. But okay. you're not wrong because, I, you know, we, I, I guess, sorry, that was a bit of a trick because I just did frame it as like, there's a whole rainbow. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's going to be gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not bad, not bad. But yeah, um, gray hydrogen is mainly from fossil fuels. And mm. so you use um, actually methane. And so what you're doing is that you're putting, um, you're, you're creating green, uh, gray hydrogen from a process called steam methane reformation. And mm-hmm. so basically what you're doing is that um, you're using steam to um, separate the, um, the methane from um, uh, CO2 and H2. And so you're basically emitting CO2 like all along the like whole process of creating hydrogen. Mm. Um, and so gray hydrogen, um, yeah, is basically hydrogen made from fossil fuels and uh, emitting lots of methane and lots of CO2. And so that's gray hydrogen. This is kind of like business as usual mm-hmm. um, when we're not using clean energy. Yeah. Then you've got blue hydrogen, which is a, a really interesting topic because blue hydrogen Sounds a little better. Sounds a little cleaner. Got a yeah, little. Yeah, it hope. does. The sky is blue, right? right? If the sky is blue, like there's nature around. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, mm-hmm. like not not much fog from factories. So blue hydrogen, I would say, sounds much much better, at least in my opinion, than gray. 
So is, is it actually... Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Be fooled. Yeah. Don't fall for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> is it just so, marketing? Yes. Marketing okay. from yours dearly fossil fuel industry. Who else? Who else? Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. They're good. They're good. They, they've been doing this, you know, for like oh, yeah. since 1970s saying like, no, 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 climate change. No, that's just not Doesn't a thing. Exist. Uh -uh. Exactly. Exactly. So see, they, they got pretty good at the marketing, but um, bring it on, guys, bring it on. So um, yeah, blue hydrogen, again, from fossil fuels. So it's coming from the same place. It's still dirty. It's literally molecules. However, here comes the spin, right? Um, for the last 15 years, we've been talking about uh, carbon captured storage technology. Um, yeah, for, for capturing the CO2, one of the use case for, for hydrogen. And um, yeah, it's been a little while. Why, why isn't that out by now, you know? So um, yeah, blue hydrogen is, is something that I personally believe is, is not a market we should develop for the pure uh, reason that it relies on fossil fuels and we're still waiting on technology. So. Um, there's a lot of talk around blue hydrogen. So um, what would it be? Would it be like it's still gray hydrogen, but they just capture the CO2 afterwards and mm -hmm, then making mm -hmm. it blue because of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh, so, okay. Right, right. So they basically... Okay. okay, sorry. Did, did I interrupt you? Then just finish no, the thought. Well, I mean, I would just, you know, um, it's more of a challenging question. It's just who's certifying that it's even ever going to be captured and who's certifying hmm. that it's actually being stored forever? No mm -hmm. one. I mean, the, the bigger issue that I see, and I think you alluded to that earlier, is it's very rough to like use a technology and like call it environmentally friendly when the main part of what makes that technology environmentally friendly hasn't been invented yet in a proper way, right? Because carbon capture doesn't work properly as of today, is my current understanding. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 um, being developed, yeah. and I think um, uh, it's. You know, I think it has specific use case where it will be useful. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the last one on the list is it's hydrogen, and mm -hmm. the fundamental problem of great of great, of bleh, blue hydrogen is that it comes from fossil fuels, right? That that is like the the yeah clear like red flag, like hello world. We're yeah, it doesn't make much away. sense to me personally. Uh -uh, no, uh, no, me neither. I, I don't get it either. That's why I'm just kind of like, okay, guys, let's be honest, okay? Um, so it leaves us with the final. Um, solution, which, which in my opinion is the only sustainable solution that we have for, for, um, yeah, our energy transition when we talk about hydrogen. And that's why, um, if people start debates, it's green hydrogen is actually the only color of hydrogen that will drive us towards, um, yeah, a clean energy future. And this is when we're using green hydrogen. And so to produce green hydrogen, you're using uh, solar or wind energy or any type of renewable electricity to power the device called the electrolyzer and then this electrolyzer is generating green hydrogen and then the green hydrogen can be used whether it's for mobility energy um industrial use cases or heating and cooling oh, think... and, oh yeah no co2 and no uh, methane is um yeah emitted in the process of creating green hydrogen okay i think we need to like just sum up like one like quick sure. thing i think I th then i think we have like a very good foundation to actually dive a bit deeper into what a nectar like is doing because we like kind of mentioned it but i would love to dive mm. a bit deeper in that so if my understanding is correct right so we've established that hydrogen is a molecule that can be used for different things right but you can transport um 
energy with it. You can also use it as a, like a bridge between the energy source and where you want the output. I might be using like some of the words wrong, but like in terms of the, um, the actual use cases. And then also there is a possibility where you can use green hydrogen, specifically green hydrogen, without emitting any significant amounts of CO2 from beginning to the end, like the full life cycle. If we don't factor in like that, potentially there was like CO2 emitted when like creating like the solar panels or whatever. But basically like the, like from energy, like creation to then the hydrogen doing its job, it, it can be done without emitting significant amounts or like only trace amounts of CO2 and methane. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. I think it's, it is important as you, um, you know, did address that um, there is the life cycle of um, the, the the hardware itself, so the electrolyzer and the, and the solar panels. Yeah. But when we look at the the, the comparison of how much um, CO2 is avoided, it's up to um, 93% actually compared to, to fossil fuels. And I mean, that's huge, right? Um, it is this huge. Is, and it, is, is that including the current infrastructure and it can still be reduced by just using more hydrogen to produce these? gadgets or like for example like does it include that currently these electrolyzers are produced or the solar panels are produced in a manufacturing process where they still use fossil fuels and that can be improved down the line or is that just the like optimum that we can work towards over time so i, I am giving a range and i did give the upper limit um okay. and i think the upper limit is once um we are mass producing um solar panels and, and electrolyzers with green hydrogen, but Got I, it. or with clean, clean energy sources. But I think mm -hmm. we could always keep, keep increasing it. It's, but you know, when I look at right now, the, our, our metrics, um, it's the, the, the range is from 86 to 93% of CO2 equivalent emissions. That does sound pretty avoided. good to me. That does yeah. sound like so. a, a very big improvement. Okay. So we do have this like future we want to like i think both of us agree other than potentially people who are heavily invested in fossil fuel shares or people who are being paid by them to be lobbyists so i think most of the people like that are not those groups would agree that we need a more renewable like energy system in place whether it is for the molecules or whether it is for the electrons right and Hydrogen, green hydrogen specifically, will play a very big role if your vision of the future is correct. So let's dive a bit deeper into Ineptor's role. So why is Ineptor doing what Ineptor is doing? And why do you think this is like a crucial step towards this future vision that you just outlined? So what was missing or what is missing? Mm -hmm. um, I think Ineptor exists because of the urgent need to change things. So urgency is one of our uh, core principles because we have absolutely no time to waste. Um, this is the defining decade and we need uh, change to happen. And so this is so this is why an after exists, right? To fight climate change. Um, and so our approach to fighting climate change is a bit different to how others have approached green hydrogen. So. We have a unique technology. So our, our core technology, our patent is, is, is unique um, in comparison to others. Um, in, in short, the benefits are uh, cost-effective green hydrogen and um, uh, high performance and efficiency of our systems. And the, um, the scale-up approach is significantly different. So 
because our systems don't require expensive materials, we can mass produce our, um, our electrolyzers. So we like to draw an analogy between, um, let's take the IT industry in the 1980s and the electrolyzer industry today. So back in the 1980s, uh, we were still using supercomputers, right? These were like these gigantic computers that took up a whole room. And then um, in the 80s, the PC came and the PC completely like revolutionized um, uh, the computing industry by being a product that was standardized, that was modular, that was affordable. Um, and that was the, the big revolution. And nowadays we have blade servers, right? And blade servers are these compact, powerful um, uh, products that are even um, not only raising the, the, the IT computing uh, possibilities, but also at a very, very low cost. And we, we reach this through um, mass producing and commodifying um, these, these chips, essentially, right? And this like computing processing power. And so when we look at the electrolyzer industry, our um, competitors are building systems similar to the IT industry's early mainframe. So each electrolyzer is um, designed as an individual project, which requires sophisticated engineering and planning. And so Anapter is mimicking the introduction of the PC, a product that is modular, compact, and standardized so that we can mass produce our electrolyzers and we can drive down costs um, much quicker and mass produce them in a much quicker way. Nice. I, I love that analogy, specifically because I also love the history of computers. And there's <laughs> like one of my very favorite books. It's called The Dream Machine. And it's, it's literally about the decades before personal computers became a thing and about the whole process of how they were invented. So I would love to see a book like maybe like 30 years from now, like where like some very good historian writes a book about green hydrogen and you playing a, a big role in that. But that was, that was a very good explanation, I think. So the idea is you standardize the product. It's not a project anymore. You said that it is a product. And once you have something that you can productize, you can ship out more of it and you can do it more efficiently. So that makes sense to me. And what kind of use case, like who would buy your electrolyzers right now? Like what, who are your main customers? Mm. Um, I think that's a really fun question because we have such a wide range of customers and um, we take the approach of our product is um, a universal product, right? So we're not targeating a specific segment or sector, actually. We want to make it um, That must be uh, difficult easy. for your sales team. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fun challenge, you know, it's like everyone is our customer and they also come to us, but now it's like, okay, so we're scaling up right now. And yeah, we're going from hundreds to thousands of production mm. of electrolyzers. So we can get to that after, but first mm -hmm. who's, um, using our electrolyzers today. Um, yeah, as mentioned, they, they really are across all sectors. So we have, um, some customers that are, for example, um, uh, building hydrogen planes. And so they're building fuel cell electric planes. And so these planes require um, hydrogen to fly. And so they will buy our systems to integrate it in a refueling station and then refuel the plane at the airport. So that's one of their use cases and type of customer. But we're also working with um, some 
yeah, some 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 entrepreneurs and some visionaries in uh, in Australia, for example, where there is so much sunshine in Australia that they decided, okay, let's capture it, let's do something with it. And so what they're doing is that they're um, using solar panels to power the electrolyzer to generate green hydrogen. And then they're also capturing CO2 to blend the H2 and the CO2 to create green methane. And so then this green methane can then be used um, either just as a fuel for trade, um, and it can also be transported into um, their natural gas grid. So let's call it power to X, power to gas, hydro um, yeah, basically solar to mm. then uh, methane with hydrogen along the way. Um, then we've also got um, uh, a sector in, uh, sorry, an application in the, the heating sector. And so mm. here we have, for example, DNVGL, which is a, a huge certifying body involved in in, in quite a different areas, um, like the maritime area, but also in this um, heating application, where with um, the the community of Städten, they wanted to demonstrate that green hydrogen um, and that hydrogen actually can also be used uh, for heating applications where the um, uh, natural gas grid is being used um, to transport the hydrogen. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go on. I could tell you about uh, the, the the new. Yeah, that was um... that was already very helpful because in my <laughs> mind it was. I mean, I wouldn't buy an electrolyzer, right? And my company probably wouldn't buy an electrolyzer. But I just wanted to get like an understanding of who would use it right now. I think the examples were were very helpful. And um, in in the interest of time, I would love to like have like one or two more questions about like. Inaptor and that ecosystem. And then we definitely want to take some time to talk about your own productive habits and a couple of other things as well. But one question that I wanted to ask like at the like very beginning, but I postponed it to now. <laughs> you said that some people, ooh, my, my chair just moved in a weird way. So <laughs> we are not cutting. So I, I'll just keep going. <laughs> you said like that some people say that your device looks like a microwave. Could you give me an example of someone who said that in the past who people might know? <laughs> sure. Um, so back in November, on yeah November 1st, I believe, 2021, we had the chance to uh, be at COP26 and be at one of the World Leaders Summit. And one of mm -hmm. our electrolyzers was there. Mm -hmm. And um, shortly before um, this person went on stage, I had the chance of, of, of meeting him and shake his hand and he asked me so what does this do and and how does it work and um he seemed very interested and so i, I gave him my business card that he he surely accepted and uh, yeah once once he went on stage um he was talking about the the future of energy how green hydrogen played a role how he believed in it and pointed to our electrolyzer and then said it speciously looks like a microwave quote unquote prime minister boris johnson yeah, that was it was a lot of fun when you sent uh, the video. <laughs> we, we'll put the video in the show notes. So for everyone who wants to see the British Prime Minister talk about uh, the device of Vitea's uh, company uh, looking like a microwave, it's it's a pleasure to watch. So <laughs> um, and then maybe in relation to that, just as a as a closing factor, because I think people now understand you have a big vision. Like the the company is apparently being talked about by like important people in politics, but. Uh, last year, you also had like one one very interesting development that gave you a lot of attention with a, a very big award. I think a new award that you you won. Maybe you can give us an understanding of what that was, why it was so exciting, and uh, just uh, tell everyone in an indirect way without bragging because I brought it up 
that your your company is apparently on a very good path. Yeah, um, I would love to share more about this award. Um, it was really a, a huge, huge honor. Um, and, and just this, the, the recognition of such an award was that, um, yeah, our, our solution is worth scaling, right? Um, the, the values of this award is, uh, and the, the principles are really um, rooted in urgency and optimism drives actions. Mm. And this was, uh, 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 in, in their words, the most prestigious uh, environmental award, um, which is called the Urshot Prize. And hmm. so this is, um, yeah, really uh, an amazing opportunity to to highlight five different areas where we absolutely need to be working on for the next decade. And um, and it, it was initiated by uh, Prince William. Um, and so we had the chance to to meet him and and really, um, yeah, be be on this uh, uh, um, aggressive path towards fighting climate change. Um, and we were one of the winners of the Fix Our Climate category. And um, there's also the restore nature and revive our oceans and clean mm. our air and build a waste-free world. And um, yeah, applications are actually still open. Actually, it's not an application, it's a nomination. But if you're working on an idea past um, or a project for past the idea stage, um, we are one of the nominators and we'd be happy to consider you uh, for the Earthshot Prize 2022. Right, so if you have a great product that is trying to save the world, specifically the environment, in one of the categories, uh, feel free to reach out to Vitea. But uh, only if it's like a really, really good product, because Vitea is very busy and I want to protect her time. But <laughs> uh, so like maybe a last question on the energy side of things before we dive into like personal habits and that kind of stuff. First of all, like very, very interesting what you're doing, right? And I think it needs to be like a collection of different solutions, right? You, you won't solve the whole crisis on your own. I think no one can. And uh, before you wander off into British high society in a couple of years after all your contacts there, like I would love to hear what you personally think about nuclear energy. And the reason for that is that I have two sides basically. And both sides are like, usually when I, when I see disagreements, it's usually that one side has like science on their side and like most of the smart people and the other side is either profiting from distributing false information or like some other thing, right? But in the nuclear debate, I know extremely smart people who are very anti-nuclear, but I know extremely smart people who are very pro-nuclear. And I've read a lot of, like, I've read papers about it. I've talked to people about it. And especially in the US, there seems to be a movement towards building, like, let's call it like clean nuclear energy. And I don't, I'm not sure how much you can comment on that, but what is your general understanding of this space? And do you think nuclear can play a role or do you envision a world where nuclear isn't part of the, the mix? Mm -hmm. Great question. Um, it's definitely one of the big questions uh, in energy today. And Yes, I'm, I'm not a nuclear expert, so uh, let's, let's go as far as I can in terms of my understanding. Um, you know, I, I think what's the, the big debates right now is, is, um, you know, is it safe? Um, and what do we do with the waste, right? Because nuclear waste is, is a big problem. So um, this is something that we, we need to address if nuclear should play a, a greater role in the energy transition. Um, my personal concern with it 
in addition to safety and um, uh, and and more importantly, waste. I think waste is really a big problem. Um, is how much time it takes to build these reactors. So, I mean, the smaller ones might take like seven to eight years um, to be built, but the larger ones, it's like about twenty years, like minimum, right? And I mean, is I it is it in we... German building standards or in Chinese standards in terms of how quickly things are built? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know actually what the Chinese standard is. So this would be more usually the, probably like, 10 German. times as quick as the, the yeah. German standard. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I'm a bit cautious. Um, it was it in... was mostly it was mostly a joke. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I so you say it takes a lot so of it time. Takes, it's going to take time. And, and you don't, don't think have we the have time, the time, right? No, yeah. no. So we have we have a lot. We have huge energy needs. Um, and I'm not saying that it doesn't play a role in the future. I just don't think we should delay actions waiting for something that will Oh, no. Okay. That that, that, that does make sense. Yeah. And it was maybe like potentially a bit of an unfair question, but I think I would have felt bad about not answering the question just because it's one of the very it's it's unclear, right? It's somewhere in the middle. Like it's not fossil fuel, but it's also not really like clean, at least not in the same way that solar or wind can be clean. So no, it's, it's one it's, of the like as you said, big debates and like from the sidelines i just noticed that they're like very smart people arguing for both sides and funnily enough my my dad like literally just called me and i had to push him away and it was the second we started talking about nuclear because he has a very strong opinion on that topic probably he heard it from like thousands of miles away and wanted to um mention his opinion <laughs> but yeah i think um let's switch and like do a very hard like shift right now and talk a little bit about your your personal productivity means and like how you keep up with everything right especially the last year but the years before have been crazy so and and then also the feedback cycles are like longer when you work in hardware than in in most software areas so what are you doing to keep yourself mentally sane productive and and healthy mm -hmm. um i guess my personal routine is very deeply rooted in sports. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I kick off my day with sports or I end it with sports. I just need to like release steam by, by moving. And um, it can also be going out and dancing. I'm also like super down for that as soon as we can go do that again. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, uh, in this focus quarter that I'm going through at the moment, it's really all about sports. Um, but also reflections, uh, journaling. So I'm, I've, I think I'm actually hitting the spot right now in my routine. I've been working on it for the last 26 days, but I think I got it. And um, it's, it's, it's basically carving time before I, I start my day um, and starting with some uh, meditation, visualization, affirmations, reading, um, journaling and sports. And so yeah, it's called the miracle morning and it's been really, really great, uh, so far. And, um, I think something that I'm improving on is the, the winding down routine because I'm, I'm working till quite late and, um, I guess biking seven kilometers home, is a great way to kind of like, you know, put the work behind, mm. uh, but I still need to find this way to, to just like wind down, um, either through, another uh, meditation session um, or just some tea with a candle and music. <laughs> okay, so I, I see that there's like sports, very important part, reflection, important part, sometimes also doing things that just 
help you not think about like work and like bring you into a different mental state, whether it's meditation or some candles. How how do you generally like beyond that? Is there anything like that you do at work to cope with stress and all the demands? Or is it mostly that you just deal with it at work and it's mostly about using healthy coping mechanisms outside of work? No, I definitely need to release uh, during the day because if I like keep it into like uh, until the evening, it's not not good, not healthy. So um, uh, the releases during the day are mainly just some um, deep breathing. Um, you know, you can just do it like standing at your desk or sitting, whatever. Hmm. Um, so I don't really, I don't take the time much for meditations at work, but um, mm -hmm. deep breathing really helps. And also just going for a walk. I just go around the block. Doesn't feel very smart, but it feels very good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, walks walks are a lifesaver sometimes. Sometimes just like doing a walking meeting if you can, mm. or just 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 taking a walk real quick. It it really refreshes the mind. So I, I definitely see that. Actually, I have a I have a walking meeting immediately after after this uh, recording session, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, you were talking about reading in the morning as part of your routine. Do you have specific books that you like to read? Is it mostly fiction, nonfiction? How do you think about choosing books when there are so many great books out there? Hmm, great question. Um, yeah, actually, I did start off the year by by reading a bit about um, the energy field and the the economics behind it and this whole theory behind like slowing down and why it's good. And it was a bit too intense at 6.30 in the morning. So I, I kind of shifted away from that and um, took some recommendations on maybe uh, reading more on personal development books. And so that's been working out quite well. Um, I think I would stay probably in this sort of like self-help, uh, reflections, meditation, stoicism, philosophy. I would stay in this range um, for those Uh, morning readings and um, I'm, I'm actually now listening to Greek mythology in the evening and mm. so I'm keeping the fiction in the evening and then the non-fiction in the day um, so that's been working out so far okay that, that, that makes sense to me and do you have any specific recommendations both on the fiction or non-fiction side that you would like to tell people about mm, I've really enjoyed the wise heart I'm actually not finished reading it because mm -hmm. it's just it feels like an open like book meditation mm. uh but it's just really good it's it's basically a blend of psychology and meditation so i've um uh, sorry psychology and buddhism and um it's it's a really yeah it's a great read um and then regarding fiction i, I have to admit i'm 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 working on this um i have a few like fiction books that i really enjoyed um in, in french by albert camus um mm -hmm. but i i i need to and want to actually start reading more of it that's why now i'm listening to greek mythology and, and as an audiobook and um it's a good first step for me got it but, now you um, were you were flexing your french on us for a bit so i have to bring up your like fairly international upbringing like how, how like how do you think that has maybe you like explain where you grew up and everything but how do you think that has influenced you because you are you're dealing with a problem that is a global problem so do you think that's a like that has helped you or do you think that's just like your upbringing and don't really think about it that much hmm. well so i'm born in new caledonia which is a french island uh, next to australia and new zealand and so as an island it's at risk of uh, sea level rise so I do see climate change as an existential threat for my family, and um, it has motivated a lot of 
um, my, my work at Anaptra and also everything um, that I've done uh, in high school, starting environmental clubs. And um, I guess um, I was born in New Caledonia. Then I uh, grew up in uh, the United States, in Maryland. And then I, I studied in Canada. So I think having this international background has also um, uh, given me the initial motivation to, to do something about it, but then also the global exposure to understand how others are addressing it, tackling it, how they're coming up with ideas and um, yeah, trying to like bring it all together. Uh, yeah. With an after for now. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. And then is there any like routine or any piece of content? It doesn't have to be a book. But like any advice that you want to give to people who, who listen, either something that has shaped you into who you are or just something that you found really inspiring? Mm, maybe two things, but this is something that I'm, I'm personally working on um, this year is to really take responsibility for the person that I want to become. And I'm really taking ownership, right, of my my needs and my desires. And um, if I need to take a break, for example, um, or, or if I just need to, yeah, take some time off because it's usually in that direction that the need is going, I can just keep keep working on stuff and try to solve problems. But sometimes it's just, you know, um, turning off. Um, and um, yeah, I think also trusting your gut is something that I've really learned to keep doing since day one and we'll, we'll never stop. I think um, we have um, this sense that we should not ignore or face consequences later. Um, <laughs> one of my co-founders <laughs> would love you for that sentence and the other one would hate you for that sentence, which always, <laughs> always brings us into very interesting uh, conversations, uh, at least sometimes. But one of them is a really big gut person and the other one is the complete opposite. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got to get in touch with it and, and then beautiful yeah. things happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was, that was good. Maybe one follow-up question to the taking responsibility for the person you want to become. And my interpretation of it, at least somehow, is that if you are super busy, right, you, you have meetings all day and there's so many projects that you're working on that at least to me, sometimes it feels as if you're just being dragged on and you really lose focus of the like bigger picture and like taking responsibility at least what you said for me also means just sometimes taking a step back and analyzing whether the things that i think i have to be doing are actually the things that i should be doing is it also how you understand it or am i interpreting too much of my own personal like feelings into this no i i think that's a, a it, it's part of it right i think taking responsibility for who we want to become is checking in on ourselves and then the frequency at which you do it is is part of it right so i'm doing it on a quarterly basis and on a yearly basis and so i think checking in and also um having others hold you accountable right is is part of it um but also yeah i think kind of having this you know this like um honest conversation with yourself on where are you now where do you want to go and what are you willing to do in order to get there and you know showing up every day and doing it Hmm. As a last question to close it off, like showing up every day and doing it, I think there's many, many people out there, probably also some of the people who are listening, who would love to do something against climate change, right? Either join a company, maybe build their own company, do it in politics, like lots of different ways. But let's focus specifically on the people who want to build things and create things. Is there anything that you would like to 
say to them or anything that you would like to recommend? Because sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, these things are a bit more difficult to plan than just building the traditional like B2B SaaS company or something like that. Good question. You know, I'm, I think there's enough software in the world. <laughs> uh, so I would heavily disagree with that, but I, I think we can postpone <laughs> that conversation to another for, day. For climate change, for climate change. But sure, there can always be more software. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think um, there's still a lot to do in fighting climate change, uh, like a lot. Um, and I think if you're a builder and you want to get involved, then then do your research and see where the gaps are. I mean, just look at the Earthshot Prize and see all the different solutions that we're looking for. And mm. then you'll just hopefully have like seeds of, of, of ideas or look at the SDGs and um, sustainable development goals, right? And then you have some ideas. Um, but also I feel like if you're a builder, then you have a lot of initiative and you know maybe you can also contribute your skills or your time um, to a company working on something similar to what you would have wanted to do and, and help them, right? Like accompany them in their journey. So there are things that exist that just need help and that need you know more momentum and if you can be that like firepower then that's an amazing contribution if you see a gap and know that you can build it whether it is software or hardware then go for it as well um but i would like just do your research and, and connect to what you want to be a part of um whether it's the oceans or mm. cleaning our air um and and the world is huge right like every like country has their own issues so there's a lot yeah. to do um just find something that you connect with because you will need this internal force to keep you going. I think that was a very good way of closing it off. And then to, to clarify, I think the interesting thing about climate change versus some other problems is you literally need to interact with the real world, right? Software alone isn't enough. Like we need builders who actually shape molecules and we need people who actually build physical things whether it's carbon capturing, whether it's potentially like a clean way of doing nuclear energy or whether it's doing green hydrogen. Like we need people who actually build real physical things who make them better. But we also need people who bring the world, uh, the word out, right? And to market it. We need people who finance it. We need people who understand them so that they can do the right legislation for it. So you can attack it from a lot of different angles. You don't have to be an electrical engineer or like something like that by necessity and yeah i think this was a pleasure i'm sure all of us are crossing our fingers for your continued journey and i would love to have you on again in a couple of years so that we can see where everything went oh, it'd be a pleasure thank you very much for having me thank you